You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Thursday, and today you'll hear an episode from our Takeover series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme that's relevant to our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here, welcome to another Flip My Funnel episode. And this podcast has been just growing like crazy. And one of the reasons it's growing is because we have people that are doing Tuesday and Thursday takeovers. So today, I'm really excited to introduce Barb uh, Mosher Zink. She is running her own podcast called Content Matters. And it's a really, really good podcast. And she's interviewing some ridiculously good people in content. So if you're in content, you got to listen to this whole series. So Barb, welcome to the Flip Mountain Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. All right, Barb, share a little bit about your podcast and the type of people you're interviewing in this series. So the Content Matters Podcast is a podcast that looks at all aspects of content, from especially from the marketing side, but also from like technical documentation, like how, all of, how it works to support every kind of group across the company. And I have been really, really fortunate to interview some really great, smart experts. Um, Scott Abel, Anne Hanley, Matthew Sweezy, um, Ian True Scott, um, Jim Edmonds, uh, Kem Mayfield, or Mathley, sorry, I said his name wrong. But um, yeah, there's just, there were so many. I've, we've been going for two years now and it's just, it's just been phenomenal. Fantastic, Barb. I cannot wait to hear this episode. So let's just dive right into it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to a new episode of the Content Matters podcast. Randy Frisch is the co-founder and CMO of Uberflip, a content experience platform. Frisch believes that companies need to focus on the content experience to give customers the information they need to make informed decisions. His book, um, which I can't really say the name of, but it's an F content marketing, which I actually love personally, uh, provides a framework for creating content driven experiences. It's kind of a must read for anyone in content marketing, demand generation, ABM, anyone who uses content to inform and educate and try to win new customers. Frisch, um, he joined us to talk about the importance of content and content experiences, of course especially now that um, companies are really struggling with how to do marketing in this time of our COVID-19 pandemic crisis. But also as we slowly start to emerge out of it, what is our new normal for marketing and for content in particular? It's a really great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. So we're in a tough period right now with COVID-19 going on. Everybody's kind of trying to struggle through that. I think marketers are struggling particularly hard because they're trying to figure out how to be relevant and some are continuing business as usual, but, but I don't know, is that a mistake? Is that not the way they should be thinking? What do you think? It's a great question. I, I think, you know, marketers hate this answer, but it, it depends. It depends what industry you're in and it depends what, what you're trying to achieve. Um, you know, if, if someone listening to this is selling like B2B software, which I do, I, I think sometimes it helps us to think in a consumer life. Um, you know, for, for something like a movie theater to try and advertise to us right now makes just no sense. We're not going out. We're not going to a movie theater in any sort of way or fashion. Right. Um, so it's, it's unlikely that, that I'm going to you know, do anything. 
But on the flip side, you know, there's companies that are delivering food to our house that now more than ever need to highlight what they do and adjust what they do. So it's, you know, when we think about that in our consumer lives, we can kind of transfer that into B2B lives as well. Um, you know, over the last few weeks, I've actually spent a lot of time and ended up doing a bunch of webinars with some of our customers. And it's it's similar type of type of response that I see. You know, there's some of our customers on a day-to-day, companies like Medtronic and 3M who are in the healthcare space, who are either, um, you know, supplying PPE equipment or in Medtronic's case, even ventilators. And you look at those situations, it's not a demand issue. But so they have to turn off all of the channels to try and sell and they have to shift to channels that are more around guidance and education. Um, but similarly, you know, I, I spoke to another marketer that we work with at a company that's in the hospitality space. Uh, and I won't say who they are because they, they had to go through significant layoffs because, you know, high, high customer cancellations and churn. And, you know, in their case, it's a similar mentality, which is we need a market, but we can't be trying to sell. We need, we need to be trying to, to guide. So I think generally right now, you know, you're seeing people turn off a lot of their automated emails, a lot of their, you know, standard call to actions and go more to a guidance approach. Makes sense. Definitely. Um, the one thing I will notice is that there are a lot of marketers kind of doing responses to COVID-19. Like it almost feels like it's becoming almost too buzzy. Like, is, is this all that marketers like that's not all they can do? Right. They can't. Not every marketer or company should be out there issuing their support for helping people out through the COVID-19 pandemic. Right. Yeah, it's it's we're definitely getting to COVID fatigue, I think, yeah. is, is the concept that you're hitting on. Um, you know, I, I think it will again depend. Uh, you know, I, I get emails in my inbox all day long, like anyone here, you know, talking about COVID. To me, it's it's the there are certain emails that I still want to hear. What should I be doing in this world? Um, because it is relevant to the solution and how I use that solution day to day. But then there's other aspects where, you know, there's no real change based on, on COVID. So don't keep emailing me and contextualizing what you do tied to COVID. You know, in some cases, I actually do need a break. I need to think about something that is still normal as much as most of most that's around us is abnormal. So I think it's, it's a matter of taking a look at what you are marketing and saying to yourself, does this actually need a COVID spin? Um, now, it doesn't mean that you don't have to acknowledge the world that people are in. You, you may need to change things like cadence of emails, time you email, uh, you may need to change you know, the tone of ads. Um, you know, it's really funny the other day, I was on Instagram, you know, again, talking consumer, and I all of a sudden started getting an ad for a mask. Um, and at first I thought, like based on the, the visual, that it was going to be a mask for proper ventilation and breathing, but it was actually tied to riding a bike outside. And it, and it didn't take into account at all, you know, the fact that this mask should really be remarketed for a different purpose. It was all about, you know, managing what's, what gets in as you're going fast on a bike. Um, and I just, I couldn't stop but laugh out loud at the fact that this company had missed on two fronts. Number one, they didn't adjust their product, you know, to solve a more relevant solution right now. But I'd obviously been retargeted because I'd been, you know, searching for bike repair for my kids. 
online. Um, so that's obviously how they got to me. And I thought to myself, like, there, they need to take a different angle. It's not about COVID. It's still about selling that product. But they have to be sensitive to the you know, triggers that that imagery may suggest right now. Hmm. That's kind of interesting. Where it's strange what some people, marketers, kind of try to make that match. and It doesn't quite pan out the way they think they kind of want it to. Absolutely. It's, it's really about, I, I think, you know, we say this all the time, um, but it's taking a look at what you're sending out to your audience and saying, would I open this? If I was my buyer, you know, would I open this or would I delete it? Would I discard it? Would I look away? Would I grimace when I look at what you're trying to send me? How would I feel with that messaging? And I think that's something that, you know, again, we say we should do it all the time, but now more than ever, we've got to audit a lot of our, of our nurture strategies and, and put them under that lens. Yeah. So one of the other things that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that I was, I, I've kind of re- seen a lot about is this idea that budgets for marketers, because of what's going on right now, are being kind of slashed or cut. And to me, that doesn't make sense. It me, to me, it, I would think there's a better opportunity here than just to say, okay, we're not going to do hardly any marketing right now. Like, how do you get your management to see that, you know, it's, this is not the time really to slash your budgets for marketing? Um, well, I'll answer that by saying I, I, I don't know if I fully agree with you. I, I, I agree with the concept that it's not the time to not market. Now more than ever, we do need marketing. but doesn't necessarily mean that we need the same spend in place to go do so. Um, you know, for some of us, there are certain channels that, you know, that have just been canceled. I mean, any, any in-person events, conferences, uh, those have all been slashed. And I don't think it's necessarily about taking that budget and going and spending it equivalently on online uh, engagement strategies. Um, you know, if you also have to take a look at are people in a place to buy your solution right now? So take that hospitality business that I told you about. In their case, you know, it's not the time to go and try and push demand, but it's, it's, it's an opportunity and, and they did something very clever. They, they were a solution to help, uh, you know, hotels and resorts make purchases, uh, or sorry, handle their, their CRM and, and handle website traffic. And instead, they, they started to emphasize a different product that they had that was tied to shopping cart abandonment. And the way they looked at it is a lot of the people who would typically go to a resort or, or go to a vacation home, they're still dreaming about that now, right? Where we go there and we, we get to the checkout cart and we say to ourselves, ah, oh, in six months, I hope we can do this again. Yeah. So it's, it's how do they, how do we re, how do we shift? focus of marketing. And I think that's the problem back to your point, Barb, is if you aren't doing that, if you're not reevaluating your marketing plan right now, then your budgets are going to be slashed and it's going to go beyond your spend into your headcount because the team's going to say, well, there's nothing for us to do from marketing right now. You know, the stuff that we're doing is just not applicable. So if, if we reframe what we put our headcount to, I think we'll find in many cases our our actual spend budget may go down, but the things that we're doing and where we focus will be different. So as an example, I can tell you in our case, you know, we're not, you know, we've cut some of our spend in terms of, uh, you know, top of funnel acquisition and 
you know, obviously, you know, it's hard to send direct mail as an example right now because no one's at home, no one's at work to receive it. So things like that we've, we've lowered, but what we're doing is we're realizing that there's a lot of people who may need to revisit our solution at this time. So we're going back to the leads and the, op- and the MQLs and SALs that we've had that have either, you know, non-engaged before. And we're saying, how do we, how do we do more activity to try and wake them up, right? Um, because we can reframe what we're saying to them. So it's, the idea here is continue to do marketing, but you may not want to put all your spend right now. You may want to save some of that spend for when the economy turns, depending on what you're offering. I guess I didn't think of it as being able to save it for later on. I've, I kind of looked at it more like, you know, I have a budget this month, but I'm going to slash it in half because I can't do or I shouldn't do a lot of the things I'd normally do as opposed to maybe using that budget to do things internally to help improve like the backend processes and marketing as opposed to the, you know, outreach to the customers so that when you do get back online and do get back to some kind of a, a newer normal that, that you've improved your, the way you work internally to make that experience better for the customers. Absolutely. I mean, unless you're a company like Zoom is obviously, you know, doing pretty, pretty well in these times and, you know, can optimize around what people are searching. Many of us are going to see a downturn in demand for our product. Um, now, the business I'm in is not fully subject to that because we're powering these online experiences, but within certain industries, we're seeing that. So if there's an industry that we're selling to that's not in a state of buying, we're not going to spend there because all that's going to do is it's going to deliver us terrible unit economics down the line. So we have to be smart about what verticals that we focus on or whether it's time to market our product altogether. And if we can make that case for not spending as much on, on the demand program side, in some cases, we can actually insulate some of our, our headcount that is obviously you know, being evaluated by all companies. Um, and, and then it's showing what can they do from either content creation, which is obviously something that people are digging deeper in, to how do we, how do we start to create more one-to-one journeys and experiences for those that might be willing to buy from us now, or those who are customers and just need reassurance. Right. This, that kind of falls in line. Um, I was, I, I don't know if I read it or I listened to a short video clip of you saying that, um, you know, now that we've lost our physical events and they've kind of gone away, you can't just replace them with, you know, basic landing pages. Like you need to figure out new strategies for um, getting people back in line and kind of coming and talking to you and content, I guess, plays a super huge role in that, right? Absolutely. I, you know, the, the reality of where we're all, where we are right now, the term that I've, I've used off in the last, you know, six weeks or so is the idea that we're living in this digital vacuum. And, and we talk all the time about the importance of digital channels um, and that we've got to put, you know, the right emphasis there. But now more than ever, it's, it's really our only choice. You know, we, we hit on this earlier. There's no one at the office in many cases to accept a direct mail package, uh, as much as that sometimes is balked in digital spend. Uh, you know, there's, there's no conferences if, if we're attending or sponsoring. Uh, there's no field marketing events with dinners in, in you know, beautiful uh, you know, venues in Vegas. I mean, these things are all on hold. 
Um, so right now, people have to buy digitally. And I think it's an opportunity for us to, to lean in there and really say, okay, well, what is, what is it that's so successful usually about face-to-face interactions that we can try and replicate in this digital world? Uh, and when you think about something, you know, the one that I think a lot of us can relate to is events, right? You know, events are all canceled. They're all on hold. I would be shocked if any of us attend any sort of conference until at least 2021. That's, mm. that's just my guy. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, but, but think about when we do, why do we love them? Why did we sponsor them, tend them as, as marketers? It's because when we get there, first of all, they gathered people who have similar interests to us. And in many cases, they do so in a way where they, they actually segment us, right? We go to different tracks based on the information that we're interested in. And when you sit in one of those tracks, you know, one keynote is followed by the next keynote that is somewhat related, right? We don't always have to jump from one track to the next. It's kind of similar to sitting there on the weekend in front of Netflix and they know what, what show to queue up next week. Right. And I think when, when we think about those things that are so successful in offline formats, um, how do we translate that into digital? Now, in many cases, that it's, it, it requires a bit of a shift because a lot of us think, okay, well, I'm just going to make sure that I direct you to one great asset, right? If I'm going to send out an email or I'm going to you know, deliver a, a digital ad across all sorts of different channels, I want to make sure someone clicks and they find this awesome asset. But then what? Right. I mean, sometimes we don't think beyond that one asset, which is a very different mentality than putting together a conference. Right. We think not just who's going to open up, you know, that track, who's going to follow and who's going to follow that and how will it all complement each other. Now, in that way, I get someone engaged and, you know, they, they can't even imagine leaving that track. So that's that's the goal that a lot of us have to take, which is, which, as I said, requires an adjustment in, in how we think of assembling these experiences. To me, that sounds like something you should do even long before we, you know, before all of this pandemic stuff hit, and and we were trying to get people to kind of come to the website and and you know, not just read one asset, but get a get a whole list of um, other stuff that's relevant and available to them as well. It seems like we're just trying now. That's all we have, and that's how we have to work it. Yeah, and. and- and, you know, to your point, Barbara, though, like go even beyond assuming someone's going to come to your website. In many cases, we have to engage that audience. And when we do, the key to, to realize is that every channel we use, right? I don't care if you're using email, social, paid ads, if you're still finding a way to do things like direct mail, PR, all these channels that we do, what they have in common is they all are trying to tempt us to click on some sort of a call to action. Right? Every one of those, you can visualize the hyperlink. Yep. When we click on that hyperlink, what we have to do is we, as you said, we have to think about where else are we going to send them. Now, the problem with that is very often as marketers, we say, well, I'll send them to this asset on my webpage, you know, or this one asset that I created earlier this month. And the problem is for a lot of us, the way we organize content on our webpage is something around the lines of chronological or by format. So think about it. Like if I wrote an amazing post on February the 15th and I link you there, probably the next one you're going to find is, is my Valentine's Day post, right? Because it was the one posted the day before, but it may not be relevant, right? Or if I have a great ebook to send you to, then you're going to find the next ebook 
in 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 order on that page, but that may not be tied to the vertical you're in, the type of buyer you are, all sorts of information that I can tailor around. So it needs us to take this shift to say, it's not about sending them to this page that I know exists. It's about the content team and the demand gen team working together to say, what type of destination do I need to assemble for the person who's coming to my site right now? And, and but how do you, like, is that possible to do on a one-to-one basis? Or are you really more segmenting the person into a certain group like you do, like you say, at a conference so that, you know, that, that experience that they get when they come to your site is, is not necessarily for them, but it's personalized to a, to their segment or a group of people that are like them? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. So first off, it's, it's very possible to do, but it, it requires us to figure out what is our go-to-market strategy? Are, are we taking more of a demand-minded uh, approach more broadly where we're you know, marketing to different personas or marketing to different verticals? Um, are we taking more of an ABM approach where we're starting to think more from an account perspective you know, we can't just spin up these destinations without understanding who we're trying to attract. Um, you know, when, if you think, you know, in our consumer lives, again, about Netflix, right? Now, my, my kids have Netflix. I've got Netflix. My wife has Netflix. It's all the same account. But when we log in, we see very different sets of content. Right? Like, come completely different. Even my wife and I, we love each other, but like we don't see eye to eye on a lot of Netflix stuff. So we have different accounts so that when we log in, we get, a, we get stuff that's catered to us. In both cases, they're pulling from the same library, right? Like Netflix just basically has tens of thousands of titles, but somehow they have managed to, to do this at scale. Now, the way they do that is taking into account a, a process. So the first things that we need to do is, as a content team or as a, as a marketing team as a whole with demand is we have to take time to like centralize the, all the content we have and then organize it. And organizing is doing the, the non-sexy stuff like tagging it. You can do that in a spreadsheet. You can do that in a platform like Uberflip, which is a content experience platform. When you set that all up, then you're able to start to spin up these destinations, right? And that's the, you know, that's the next stage of that process, which is personalizing each of these, each of these experiences. Uh, and to do that, we need to understand what, again, is our go-to-market strategy. So I'll give you two examples. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. I'll, I'll even make them COVID relevant right now. Um, so one of the companies that I spoke to in the last couple of weeks is, is a company called Wiley. Uh, some people may know them. They're in the publishing space. And, you know, in chatting to Chris there is on the content team, what they realized that they had to do is immediately their buyers were shifting their strategy to say, we've got to go online. We've got to do online classrooms. So they, they have, Wiley has a software solution for handling a curriculum for online classrooms. And as much as they could have said, like, here's how to bring your class online, they realized that to do that as a chemistry lab versus a math class, those are two very different scenarios to take online, right? The chemistry lab has all these other elements that they have to take, in, take into account. How do you do that? So the need to start to think about that from a vertical perspective in their, in their case or a buyer perspective is very different. 
you know, similarly for them, they, they're selling both to the teacher, but now all of a sudden the school as a whole is, is thinking about online. So they're able to now sell to different buyers, different specific buyers in that organization. So they have to shift the way they package content accordingly. So those are examples of more demand, uh, or sorry, more persona and vertical base. You know, to get to more of that account base, you know, you need a, a proper account based marketing strategy where you start to identify who are the accounts that we're going to do this and what scale do we want that to operate at. So yeah, so and that's interesting because I was wondering how you know how you you can build that content experience to support an account-based marketing strategy. Like, because I know there's different layers or different levels of account-based marketing. I suppose that that experience would be different based on what level you're working with. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a company that we've, uh, we've been fortunate to work with for a number of years called Snowflake. And it's, it's a story that I, I always love hearing and then telling as well as I can. Um, because I think it, it really teaches us about where we start, about the idea of starting somewhere small, right? A lot of us hear ABM and we think like, oh, there's so many accounts that we could go sell to. How am I going to go personalize for 1,000 accounts, 10,000 accounts, or whatever? When, when Snowflake got started in, in ABM, with ABM, their goal was really simple. They were challenged with like, what if we could create these dedicated destinations for all the channels we may be using? What if we do that just for 10? And to do that, even a 10 sounded daunting for them because, you know, they were used to just posting content online and using the same generic ads to get people there, et cetera. So they, they started with 10 and they put in place a process and the process very much reflected what I just described earlier. You know, the stages of centralizing what they had, organizing it, personalizing it, distributing it, generating results from each one. And as soon as they started to do that for 10, they started, this ABM leader, his name's Daniel, he started to be brought into all these exec meetings and they're saying, you know, why are these accounts so much more engaged? And he said, you know, we're just doing more one-to-one -to, -one to them. We're, we're personalizing more based on what they care about. You know, they feel like we, we understand them. Um, and they said, great, go do that now for, for 100 accounts. And, and at that point, that became daunting for him, right? Yeah. But, but it was only... You know, he was able to see to 100 because he had figured out how to get to 10. When Daniel's actually moved on to another company since, but when he left that company, we're still working with them. But when he left, they were now doing that for over 2,000 accounts. So every one of those 2,000 accounts had a dedicated destination where they had, a, you know, not just technology, which we were happy to be a part of, but it was also just the internal process that they put together to understand what are we going to personalize around? How specific are we going to get in the messaging and are we grabbing content that we have or are we actually creating custom content? It just, I don't know, it boggles the mind to think you could do a really nice account-based marketing program, very personalized for over a thousand accounts. It's just crazy to even think about. <laughs> I know. I, I mean, keep in mind there. They're a you know unicorn status. Last valuation was over twelve billion at this point. So not all of us are necessarily going to get to that level. Yeah. Um, but but what is the impact of you closing ten more accounts? Right. Um, you know they were seeing results where they were closing three times. Sorry, I want to get it right. Uh, three times the number of deals 
when they applied personalization at two times the deal size. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But it makes sense. I mean, we all want to buy from, from people who understand us. Yeah. Right? We want to buy from people who can relate to our challenges. So if, if you, you know, if, if I go to some website and I feel like they have no idea who I am, then, then, then how am I supposed to expect that, you know, I should continue to log in, right? And the example I'm going to bring you back to is Netflix. If all of a sudden I'd start logging in, and I keep being suggested all this, and you know, I'll call it annoying content that my kids like to watch. I'm just like, no, I'm gonna go somewhere else. Right. And I'll load up on Amazon Prime Video instead. Yeah. So I had a question for you. Uh, I was gonna ask you why content matters, but I think I think that what I really want to ask you is why does it matter now more than ever? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I alluded to these webinars that I've done over the last couple of weeks, and, and they've been so enlightening and, and almost emotional at times when I get off the call, because as you can imagine, talking to some of these marketers in the healthcare space and, and even and, and other ones who are seeing massive cuts based on the industries that they're in, I, you know, one of the things that we all talked about is the need to adapt to our customer. Right. And, and that, that was the number one trend with everyone. And, you know, the reality is part of that is absolutely your sales and CS teams getting on the phone and, you know, having conversation and being able to relate to what someone's going through in that moment. Like that's, that's absolutely key. So then, you know, how is marketing supposed to, to emulate that? Because really, you know, normally we're saying, okay, it's the role of our sales and, and CS teams to sell. Yeah, they got sell, 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 sell. Yep. So the, the most logical way for us to do that is, is with guidance and, you know, content is such a great way to do that. Um, you know, I, I read some stats this past week uh, from some of my friends at a company called Engageo. They're talking about, you know, the huge rise in, um, you know, in success of webinars right now. I mean, we've always known webinars are successful, but you know, I, I think people are, are looking for relevant content right now, right? It's, it's, it's the ability to spin that up quickly. Um, you know, one of the other companies that I got to speak to, this one's probably about three weeks ago, uh, a company called SAI Global. So they're in the uh, uh, risk mitigation space. Um, so as you'd imagine, companies are trying to figure out how do I mitigate what risks in, you know, are going on out there. COVID-19 is a pretty big one. Um, and and they did something that I thought was genius, which was, I think it was, I'm going to get dates hopefully right. I think it was March the 12th, where a conference in their industry that they were not responsible for was canceled that was going to run on March 15th. And they said, okay, well, let's, let's be realistic. Everyone in that industry is going to this big event. They've, they've marked off their calendars. Now they're not. Their calendar is open. So they said, why don't we lead with great content that they created and or um, kind of resurfaced if it was applicable. And they, they made this content available to digest over that two, three-day period. And they, they basically ran a conference that they turned around in a week. And, and I think it was just you know, the type of engagement they saw, the type of feedback they had from people it's not that people were ready from, to buy from them, but if they can maintain that, 
know, we're all going to come out of this at some point. And I really believe it's the companies who treated us properly, who, you know, who are there for us to guide us are the ones that we're going to be loyal to. Right. You think um, um, content marketing is going to adapt because of what's going on right now? Like, I think it's always, I think it's been in a steady kind of evolution for the last year, two years or more, but um, where do you think it's going to evolve in the next, you know, three to five years? Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I've, I've been pretty vocal on the term content marketing and what it was supposed to be versus what it's become. And I, and I think what we're going through right now and where we're going to head out of this is, is kind of a realization that, that content marketing, yes, is about creating great content. But the real thing that distinguishes us is the experience we put in front of people. Um, you know, you can create great content, but unless you contextualize it for people, uh, there's no value to it. You know, fortunately, right now, that's, all, that's what we talked about today. And that's what everyone's talking about. It's how do I get the right content to the right people at the right time? It's not how do I create the right content right now. I mean, most companies who, who, are, who have been invested in content, they know how to do that, right? Um, they got to work a little faster. They want to work a little leaner right now. But the real question is, well, then what? And, and I think what we're starting to see is that other teams, such as demand, in this content. Like, it's not enough to say the content marketer, the content creator is the one who's going to, like, take care of it all. And, you know, one of the things that I often say is that, you know, it's the content creator, it's the content marketer who, who creates all the, the assets, but it's really demand who uses it, right? It's customer marketing who uses it. It's um, you know, our sales team who use it and so on. And I think that's the shift that we're, we're going to see with content is, you know, moving away from just pumping out content to figuring out how do we utilize it. I think that's going to be really nice to see people kind of evolve and adapt in that way, in that way, because I think we're st there's still some that are just putting content out just to get content out and there's no real focus or strategy around it. And, and I've seen that with some of my own clients as well. And I'm really excited that people are going to start to kind of shift the way they do that and they need yes. to think more strategic about it. It's, it's interesting. I mean, like when you think about, Think about the job title that we, that many companies have of a content marketer. You know, when you look at that job title, uh, it's, it's very common to see that that person's expected to create content. Like you, you dig into the lines of the JD uh, and, and you see all about creation and writing and managing an editorial calendar and things like that. And you look at the at the previous careers of some of these content marketers, if they're not right out of school more recently, you know, they used to be journalists or they used to be editors at magazines. Uh, and, and you think to yourself like, okay, great. That's the right skill for that piece. But it's not necessarily the assumption then that that person will know how to distribute content. Right? right. Like the, the, the thing I laugh at sometimes is the, the amazing writer at a magazine never had to figure out how to get the magazine on the shelf. Yeah. Right? yeah distribution teams for that. Just as in marketing, we have demand gen teams and digital teams and ABM marketers and inbound marketers, you know, sales enablement, you know, marketers and product marketers, all those are the ones who are going to figure out how to get the right message in front of people. What they have to realize is part of that message 
is working with the content team to figure out what gets out the door. And when we do that, the outcome here is, first of all, you're going to have a more engaged buyer, but even internally, you're going to have content marketers who are like, oh, finally. You know, like no content marketer wants to slave over an ebook or a blog post or whatever it is to see that it never got used the way they envisioned. Absolutely. Yeah. I've been there. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, but this was great. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate your taking the time to talk to me. No, my pleasure. It was, it was fun. And, uh, you know, I, I, I hope, uh, listen, it, it, it really is unfortunate what we're going through. Um, one of the marketers I spoke to a few, about a week ago, she said, she put it really well. Uh, and what she said is, she said, you know, like as terrible as this is what we're going through, this is pushing us to rethink what we put out there from a marketing perspective. And not that we wanted something like this to push us there, but we're really, we're doing the marketing that matters right now. We're, you know, we're, we're adjusting a lot of our messaging to, to really think about the customer. And isn't that what we should be doing all along? So, uh, you know, that, that marketer was a woman named Rachel Bryant at uh, Navis, uh, really well put and, uh, you know, really made me reflect on some of the stuff that we do. Absolutely. Definitely. Lots of stuff to think about. Thank you, Randy. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.